Welcome to Hope and Heresy, Life on the Religious Left, where we wrestle with contemporary issues using history and theology as our guides. Our task is to reclaim religion for everyday people who want to live meaningfully without letting arbitrary doctrine or oppressive religious practice prevent us from asking big questions about our complicated world. I'm Reverend Sarah Lindsay. And I'm Reverend Peggy Clark, and we're Unitarian Universalist Ministers broadcasting from Community Church of New York here in New York City. Hey, Peggy, we're back again with some awesome guests. Yes. Um, and we'll, as we have been doing all season, we'll um, invite our guests to introduce themselves and offer a little bit of um, information about what they currently do um, in the world of Unitarian Universalism. Um, so either one of you can go first, whoever's feeling uh, ready to introduce themselves. I'm the Reverend Sarah Lammert. I am serve as a co-director of Ministries and Faith Development, along with Dr. Janice Marie Johnson at the Unitarian Universalist Association. Um, I'm celebrating my 30th anniversary of being ordained in October. So this is an exciting year. And I'm Janice, Janice Marie Johnson, co-director with Reverend Dr. Sarah Lammert, co-director of Ministries and Faith Development. We focus on all things ministry and it's a huge staff group with a a lot of responsibility and um, we'll say a little bit more along the way um, i am culturally caribbean i'm from jamaica i am an internationalist and i am a new yorker from brooklyn well it's very exciting to have you both I, um, I've really been looking forward to this conversation with the two of you. I respect you both tremendously. So I'm, I'm thrilled to have even a little bit of time at not only together, but to talk about something that has some, some real meaning. So as you know, we've been posing a single question. We've been bringing people on um, who we have deemed UU luminaries and the two of you fit that description beautifully. And we're posing one question and then we're just gonna talk. And the question is, what is the central task for humanity or for humans in this particular historical moment? For me, the central task um, centers around care and compassion, honoring others as well as honoring ourselves. I, I believe that that will if we could hold on to that and make that real, that will help us fight the tremendous ills that we're facing in the world. I uh, was thinking about this a lot since you posed the question to me. And I was imagining that for many people in the world, just surviving is the central task of every day. Um, and that it's a certain privilege to actually be able to answer this question. Um, and my answer is very similar to that, that of Janice Marie. Um, I wrote down widening our circle of care. And for me, this means that we don't just include our people, um, whatever, however we define that, our family, uh, our chosen family, our close friends, our neighbors, um, but we widen the circle of care to include those that are maybe different in some way to us, occurred differently to us, um, who are more vulnerable in society, 
who um, have different stories, um, different lives, different cultures. So widening the circle of care to me seems to be the task that I chose out of the many that one, you know, one could go so many directions with this question. It's really actually uh, something kind of poetic that the two of you are in the position that you're in and that you think of care as the the primary, as the central task. You seem to be well-situated <laughs> in your careers. It's um, It also feels so healing to hear you say it because we're culturally we're in such a moment of anxiety and anger and fragmentation and and the thought that we could extend care or could extend compassion feels like if that was real if we could really do that it would be transformative for for everything for how how we live just individually in our families and our neighborhoods and then how we live as citizens of the world. I think what's especially interesting to me, right, is that um one could answer this question with like, we need to approach climate change or we need to write that, but both of you went straight to like, we need to change the hearts of the people, right? Like we need to, that the revolution is, is around, I mean, there's many of them, but that you're both identifying a need to sort of reform how we move through the world, all of us, right? Um, and how we include or exclude and how we help to heal one another. I think because I tend to be a relatively practical person, where I come to then is like, but but how? How are we going to do that, right? Like, how are we going to get people to offer that kind of care and compassion and honor themselves and others? How do we widen? How do we widen the circle, um, especially uh, when there's real resistance from folks to do so? Um, how do we how do we help make that shift? So I take a very relational approach, and it's tiny steps, tiny moves forward, recognizing that what we're trying to do is long haul work. It, it's not an, just knowing that it's not an overnight fix. There'll be many starts and stops along the way. We can't allow ourselves to be discouraged and we have to stay very much focused on, on our goal. One of the tools I think is the power of storytelling and listening to each other's stories. You 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 know you you hear stories, you read stories and hearts and minds are changed. And I think that's a part of how we move toward embodying care and compassion and building a community and community of communities on the same path in spite of the differences. You know, when I felt called to ministry 30 years ago, it was because I saw the power of spiritual community to help create transformation. I had been on a trip to um, Nicaragua, which, um, you know, unfortunately, some of the leaders that were so visionary then have become um, very difficult now, Daniel Ortega. Um, but back then, um, I remember attending a church service and just seeing 
uh, how alive people were in that, even people who had experienced so much loss during the recent war, um, and how that uh, expression of faith undergirded their hope for the future. And that's what brought me into ministry and what I see as the power of our communities. Um, I recognize that right now is a difficult time in spiritual community as it, as we express it in the United States. Um, and that congregations are struggling to, whatever it means, come back from the pandemic. Hopefully they're evolving into something new because I think um, we're called to become something new right now if we're going to remain relevant and be a part of this vision that Janice, Marie, and I are talking about, which is really about widening our circle of care, not about being comfortable among the people that we feel comfortable among. I wonder, um, with the new proposal for Article 2 and this concept of love at the center, if that's been informing either of you at all. I mean, for me, it's been... Um, kind of remarkable. I mean, I don't, if you had said to me, love is at the center, I'd have said, well, of course it is. <laughs> but there's something about a group of our leadership, finding a way to almost codify that and, and to try to institutionalize that, that feels incredibly powerful to me. And I know that there's resistance and there's resistance to change always, but I, I preached on this a couple of weeks ago and in the process of preaching on it, I felt like um, it felt very alive. You know, it's not that I had a problem with what was there before, but this really feels like it's it's propelling us forward into, and I am agreeing in full agreement with you, the, there's a new world being born and and this feels like that's the world, right? That That's it, that's the vision. So I wonder if it's been um, useful for either of you as you think about this widening the circle. The world that we're aspiring towards has, I've seen it. I've experienced it here and there. So I can be firm in my faith about it because I really do believe that I've experienced it. It is not that foreign. The article two, I think it's a wonderful articulation. And for me, it feels like another, another forward movement on this arc on which we've been. So it doesn't feel like a shiny new thing. It, it feels like part of the trajectory on this amazing narrative arc of how we um, embody and live our faith. Well, that's kind of hopeful, right? It's not yeah. that it's coming out of nowhere. This is just an articulation of what we've been hoping that we would be, right? What we've been reaching for already. Yes. Janice, are there, um, you, you mentioned that you have experienced that world that you vision. Is there like um, a community or a, or a time or an event where you like really felt like this is it? And if we could just get to this, well, so I'm a product of the United Nations International School System. I've lived all over the world. I've been blessed to have had principals, educators, teachers from all over the world. So nothing along those lines was particularly strange. 
I'm used to going into different cultures and making myself comfortable. Um, in 2004, maybe, the Parliament of World Religions in Barcelona, I have never seen more inclusive community. I mean, one little example that I, I, I remember <laughs> sending a message to my sister, um, I'm at the parliament, they have snack stands that are halal and vegetarian and da 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 da. I have never seen that in many countries or many places. It was remarkable having the Sikh community feed, I don't know, thousands of people. It seemed like never ending food and with such a welcome. And during COVID, in New York City, in Queens, the Sikh community really took a strong lead in getting to people who were shut in and didn't have food or groceries and making a difference. I said, oh my gosh, this is, and folks were so celebrating them. I'm thinking I've experienced their hospitality and welcome before. I think it, it helps um, when you can call to mind those moments and, and really hold on to that, right? To sort of, even if we don't get to that place fully with all of us in our lifetimes, at least those glimpses help keep the hope alive and, and kicking. I will share something from a very different context. And then poor Janice Marie has been subjected to listening to me talk about town meeting day in Vermont um, endlessly this week. But in Vermont, we have this very pure form of democracy, and every town has a meeting, our annual meeting, the same morning. Um, and it happened on Tuesday. And so I went to our town meeting, our town of 700, and um, it was not unlike an annual meeting in a UU congregation in some ways, like going through line items that were uh, as low as $100 in our budget. <laughs> but, uh, but on the other side, I also saw like, so many engaged citizens here, you know, volunteering and caring for their neighbors in a way that um, maybe I've never experienced before. Um, you know, because the conditions up here can be hard and there's a lot of poverty up here and um, people really do uh, extend themselves. And it's, it's another little glimpse of this vision I'm talking about, about widening the circle of care. Um, with town for example, gives $40,000 a year to support a nonprofit nursing home that exists in our community. Um, I don't know that many towns give grants like that out of their, out of their tax budget, but um, uh, I serve on the board of that organization and it's incredibly supported. And um, the folks that live there would not have another option locally if, if we didn't have that place. So um, those are just some things that give me hope. I had that experience um, when you talk about being in Barcelona, when I went to the Conference of Parties for Climate for the United Nations Summit, both in Paris and then in, in uh, Glasgow. And there was that same experience of like, we are all here, everybody is here and everybody has to be included. And all of the languages and all of the ways that we eat and that we sleep and that we just everything we do because everyone's together for two weeks, right? So I had never seen 
you know, arms stretched so wide around so many people and that it was, it felt so natural for all of us to be there and just, and to, for the most part, be moving toward the same goal, which was also part of it, that there was, everyone was there with such hope, especially in Paris, that the sense of like, something is necessary, what we were doing had tremendous meaning. And it was one of the few experiences I've had of being like really part of a human family, you know, that like everyone's in this together, but that feels massive. I feel like I've experienced this also in smaller ways in in congregations. I mean, during Hurricane Sandy, I I didn't have any power or water and my family moved in with my sister and um, a neighbor came with us because she didn't have any, my, my sister was like, sure, <laughs> anyone who can find a place to sleep is welcome in my house. So the dogs, like everyone was at my sister's house and a congregant of mine, a 16 year old congregant who had just had lung surgery, she had cancer, um, was having, didn't have power in her house and was getting incredibly sick from being so cold. And I called everybody in my congregation, like we need a generator. <laughs> and they started calling their friends and the ambulance couldn't actually get, she was trying to get her to a hospital and the ambulance couldn't get to their house. And over the course of a few hours, this neighbor, friend of mine and my sister and my congregants and then another church all started to mobilize and eventually did get to this girl's house and hooked up a generator. Someone donated a generator, which was sort of wild to consider when it was Hurricane Sandy and everyone needed their generator, but that someone donated their generator and, and someone and someone showed up and then hooked it up for them. So so in really big ways, and I've seen this in really small ways, and it is it is kind of the world we dream about, you know. For me, it is. You know, um, in a UU context, and I'm not going to remember the year, but when we were in Phoenix for that Phoenix GA and um, a large group went to Sheriff Arpaio's jail. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, my heart was in my mouth. I don't do well with law enforcement but I had to go and I'm on the bus and I'm panicking, you know, and somehow being there with my UU family and looking up and those who were in prison, finding ways to thank us for being present. It was a holy moment. That's a glimpse. Wow. It it was a fragment of perfection in terms of, multicultural, faith-filled community. Right, those moments of people being absolutely gorgeous, just just like shining in the moment. So I think the, an interesting thing that you, you were saying, and I understand why you were saying like in big ways and small ways, but um, there's part of me that wants to like resist that notion that some are big and some are small and to just say that like all of them matter and that actually... You know, um, Janice Marie, you said earlier about tiny steps, right? Little movements forward. Um, and I think that when when so many of us think in big, grand terms of what we want the world to be, we can lose sight of how valuable each little accomplishment is or how not little really it is, right? And so remembering that, okay, yes, the the Parliament of Religions or the or the climate, you know, conference, those feel 
big in some way, but just as important is that donation of a generator. And just as important is that, you know, um, bus filled with faith-filled folks going to protest, right? That all of them matter each in their own way and, and can't really be compared in terms of their you know, bigness or smallness or value, right? That they're all steps forward towards something different and towards changing, changing hearts and changing our culture. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that actually when I see um, our church has a shelter for unhoused men. And when I see um, the way both our, our members and and also some of those men, how they treat each other, with tremendous kindness and generosity that just in in the simplest of human interactions we're making choices about the world right what is this experience going to be is this going to be um an evening of conflict is this going to be an evening of generosity and, and how are we um and and each of those moments then builds into the next moment right, for everybody. And then you sort of move out from there into all the other encounters and relationships. And we're creating a culture that is either kind or unkind. You're reminding me in terms of um, the shelter. Um, over the years, um, we move from the men in the shelter to our guests at the shelter. And breaking bread with them, um, if it's my night or so, someone's night to um, to welcome and host, it used to be, here's your meal. And then it became, let's break bread together. That's, it's such a wonderful shelter. I'm so glad that it's been active 365 days for so many years. I think it can be very powerful for Unitarian Universalists um, who often have stories that go something like, uh, "I when I found Unitarian Universalism, for those of us who weren't raised in the tradition, um, or when I refound it, for those of us who raised and maybe left for a while and came back, um, I recognized that these were my people, right? There's that kind of common story. And if a spiritual practice for us could be to always be adding to that, who are my, are my people? um to be challenging ourselves to add people that make us uncomfortable um or whose presence makes us uncomfortable because it represents some kind of injustice in the world um i think that could be very powerful for unitarian universalism and it feels like we're at least starting to have that conversation yeah we're starting, yeah we're starting to think about who's at the center and 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 who's at the margins and then who's not even in our circle who we haven't even um, we haven't noticed who, who who has been invisible to us and how do we give voice and visibility I don't think we're anywhere close to where we could be or should be but I love that the conversation has started yeah sorry I'm trying I'm like crystallizing a thought in my mind <laughs> yeah, I can around, see you thinking. Um, <laughs> right you can see my brain at work um, so because there's something here um, about the move from tolerating to something else right celebrating and actually welcoming and truly offering 
hospitality and presence and a seat at the right. So because I, I think about, um, you know, I did grow up UU and I think about all the many congregations I have been in across my life, right? And that many of them, I would say, tolerated folks on the margins, right? Whether that was someone with neurodivergence or someone with a medical condition that made it more challenging for them to participate. And and that there was, um, you know, the sort of misplaced pride in we have diversity, but it, but it was like, we just tolerate the diversity, not we proactively make it possible for someone with differences to participate just as fully as everyone else. Else, or we proactively celebrate the, you know, differences between us in ways that are meaningful and and truly welcoming. Um, and I was trying to like think to myself, like, is that something that I feel like I've seen shift in my, you know, 40 years of being around UU congregations? And I think the answer is yes, but I really do think it is still a challenge. But those are important questions, right? So we're if we're saying that the central task has to do and widening the circle. And the only way we get there is to be really honest about where we're not caring and where our circle, where we become very constrictive rather than expansive. I teach classes at Union for for UU seminarians. And I just had a class this morning and we were talking about Article 2. And I was asking the students what kind of resistance they've heard from the congregations they participate in, because I was curious. And the question of love in the middle was like a big one. And one of the students was like, I've heard people say, I wish justice was in the middle. And I was, um, my response was, I feel like justice has to come from the love, right? So so yes, the justice is vital, but if it's justice without actual love, then it's kind of like condescending, like white man's burdeny, let me fix this for you kind of justice. Whereas if it comes from an actual place of like love and inclusion and wanting to actually give power and care and compassion to others that aren't already at the center, right? So I think that's part of where I'm going in my head with this question of if the central task is care and compassion, I kind of love that because it means what we're actually doing is shifting our vision of where power lies. We're shifting our vision of where um, privilege goes, right? And we're saying that we need something much more diffuse and that it's not about just fixing. It's about having a whole reorientation of our being and then the fix comes after that. Right. But that the the reorientation of the being has to happen. It's not enough to just accept the person who is different in the congregation. Right. As a way of like doing the right thing or being moral and getting to feel good about yourself. Right. It has to come with an actual. You know what I'm saying? Is that making sense? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're bringing to mind Cornel West's, you know, uh, quote where he says, justice is what love looks like in public, right? Um, but it comes from that uh, transformed heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so the small task facing humanity is to transform everyone's hearts. That's it. <laughs> it's just a small job. <laughs> no, no, I totally, I'm not trying to be, you know, glib. I mean it. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to tell you all while we've been sitting here, we've been blessed by a um, troop. I don't know what you call a group of turkeys, wild turkeys, but they've been parading in front of me here, almost like they approve of this idea. 
<laughs> I've never seen them out this close in front of my house before. <laughs> Fabulous. But I love that, right? It's also, it's not just us and other humans. It's the earth, it's nature, it's everything, right? It's all of creation together. How do we extend our care and compassion all the way, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's a lot and it's, for some it's new and then for others, these are, comes out of cultural contexts that are as old as time. I believe that widening the circle of concern is big enough and strong enough to help guide us in those important directions. Yeah. I think so too. And this conversation just feels so um, refreshing and hopeful. I'm so grateful that you both took some time to, to check in here with us and, and bring this wisdom I think, I mean, I said it before, I think it's transformative. I think that it's, it's practical, you know, it's, it's poetic. It's, it's just, um, it's potentially everything that we need. So thank you. Well, thank you for the invitation. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Bye. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.